On today's episode of The Exit Plan, I have something a bit different for you. It's the recording of the in-person event that I hosted on the 31st of January at the Riding House Cafe in Fitzrovia. I was joined by three panellists, Lisa Posca of Ectivision, who sold her SEO agency to a network agency group in 2019, uh, Nick Berry, partner and M&A advisor at Green Square, who you may know from M&A Q&A in this podcast, and Joe Lewin, the CEO of Foundy, an M&A marketplace. This week is part one of the discussion, and it will be followed by part two next week. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to the Exit Plan Podcast Live. Uh, I am here at the Riding House Cafe in Fitzrovia um, with a lovely room of people who've just introduced themselves. And I have got three panellists with me. Lisa Posca. Did I say that right? Yes. Yes, good. Nick Berry and Joe Lewin from Foundy. And I will now ask our panel to introduce themselves. Lisa, could you go first, please? Hi, I'm Lisa Porsker. I am so impressed you could pronounce that. <laughs> that has never happened before. Um, I was the founder and CEO of Verve Search, which was a creative SEO agency, uh, mostly concentrated on content marketing. Uh, I uh, sold my business to Omnicom Media Group in 2017. Uh, and now I run a uh, mentoring and advisory business to help people grow and exit uh, with a slight different twist that is very much uh, focusing on mentoring one-on-one to the CEOs uh, and helping them uh, understand themselves and people around them in a very critical period. Thanks very much. Nick? Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Nick Berry. Um, I first became a business owner back in 2000 uh, in a IT services company called Octavia Information System, which I then sold in 2010. I then worked with many, many businesses, probably about 50 to 60 businesses um, over the next few years before I became the COO of a production company called Taylor James. Uh, Taylor James was uh, a 3D animation, CGI, photorealistic based business for the advertising industry, working with pharma and auto clients, as well as a whole range of sort of other markets. We uh, went on a journey to grow and sell and we sold in 2018 to Williamsley Tag, which is more commonly now referred to as Tag, which a few months ago sold on to Dentsu. Uh, since then, and that being a very successful deal, I've basically worked as an advisor, uh, advising people on their exit strategy and helping them get, a, get their deals across the line. So I'm a partner of a, fir- a firm called Green Square, and we work exclusively in the marketing and media sector. Great, thank you. Joe. My name is Joe Lewin, founder and CEO of Foundy. Uh, we're an end-to-end digital platform for business acquisitions. We've effectively modernized the process to buy or sell companies. Uh, we've got um, quite a large number of agency businesses, uh, but we also specialize in on, on online businesses, so SaaS, e-commerce, uh, and the like. So we've sold a lot of businesses, some of them under 30 days from end-to-end. Um, so we're really seeking to um, utilize technology, now including AI to cut out a lot of the costs, time inefficiencies with the process and help founders sell their businesses for the highest valuation. Great. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I thought I'd start with a question for you, Lisa, really. And it's about uh, why you, how you, what, how you decided to sell your business and, and, and why you wanted to do that. Uh, so my my kind of motivation for selling was kind of already born in me starting the agency. 
So I was very passionate about, about SEO and what I could do and found it quite a challenge to uh, convince the marketing agency I worked for at that point to uh, to grow it. And I decided it was time for me to start my own. But I came from quite a uh, challenging background. I'm Norwegian. That's what that weird accent is. It's not a drunk Irish person. <laughs> that's conless. Um, and uh, I had quite a challenging uh, childhood and both my parents were bankrupt and stuff. So I very much wanted to get to a point where I didn't need to worry about money. So it was quite uh, m- money motivated in terms that I wanted to exit uh, uh, already as I started the company, that was my goal. But I'm very much um, uh, one of these people that I don't do anything unless I do it really well. And I wanted to create an agency that were truly um, the best uh, the best that it could be and would have a really good reputation. So uh, although the, the, the target was that, uh, my focus was always entirely on creating the best SEO agency uh, with the best people that were actually happy. <laughs> Uh, so that was, yeah, that was my background of why why and how um, I got to that point. That was. And when it came to the decision to sell, what, mm. what, what was it that drove that? Drove that? So um, I'd, I'd run, at that point, I'd run for, for 10 years um, and I... I knew that it was it was time. Uh, weirdly, uh, 2015. So we sold in 2017, but 2015 was the most challenging year for us. We had the lowest uh, the profit margin and, and profits in general. Uh, but I really knew. Uh, I suddenly realized what I need to do and and what the service had to concentrate on. So I re re uh, organized the whole business, made quite a lot of cuts, and refocused. Um, and I already knew by the, the couple of months after I made that change and strategically started focusing on creating creative campaigns for SEO, which we were kind of one of the first to do. Um, and, and then I knew that it was, we were close. Uh, and we, we started getting interest already in 2016, but Ibeth was nowhere near what I wanted it to be. Um, uh, and, and then, we, to be fair... I wish I'd held on a little bit longer uh, because we did sell sell in 2017, and it, it could have been on a on a better mod, uh, better EBITDA. Mm. I would say. Great, thank thank you, um, Joe. What what do you see in terms of kind of seller motivations from people that list on your platform? How how do you have sort of access to the? I don't know how much you kind of speak to people individually, um, but be interested to hear what you what what kind of um, reasons you see for people listing yeah for sure I think um, we get to meet a lot of founders they fill in onboarding process and platform and yeah it's quite interesting actually learning the motivations the reasons as to why they might want to sell some and uh, they're having a baby and their partner I think is insisting that they spend more time with family and rightly mm-hmm. so um, and you know, a big exit payday is, is perfectly timed in that sense um, others, it might be burnout. You know, they exhaust themselves uh, over the last however many years, and sometimes the business has been stagnating or declining, and um, they they feel it might be an opportunity to exit then. But of course, the most uh, attractive time, at least from the buyer's perspective, is is when the company is is on the up. So, um, and I think there's a missing education piece there, and. In that a lot of founders, they often stick to their guns, continue building the business, 
hoping that it's going to get to 10x or something rather um, when it's growing and everything's good. Um, but in reality, I think um, in some respects, considering selling the company when it's on the way up, whilst it's growing and profitability is increasing, that is the most attractive time uh, to sell rather than it being stagnated or, or declining. Uh, thank you, Nick. Nick, um, just, I mean, either from a sort of Taylor James perspective or from your um, IT company, what, what, what observations have you got about motivations? Well, I was going to say, actually, I mean, what I do now, working with a, a huge range of founders and owners, um, one of the first things that we do is get, get to know them and understand what their aspirations are <clears throat> from a financial and non-financial perspective. You know, that's one of the most important things. So sometimes through doing that process, you'll realise that it isn't the right time for somebody to sell. And then I would advise them not to do it. Um, and I think I'll com come on to the next point in a second. But um, just following up from what Joe said, you know, everybody talks about the S-curve. If you think from a buyer's perspective, you know, they want that they're going to get their return on investment by knowing that there's still stretch and there's still growth in the company. And you're almost certainly going to have an earnout of some kind, whereby if you stop growing or you start declining, you're not going to hit that earnout. So growing when you're on the way, sorry, selling when you're on the way up and still growing is very, very important. That's that's the panacea. Picking the right point, picking the right time. We live in a crazy world where who knows when the next war or pandemic or whatever it might be is going to break out. So there's a lot of macro factors that we can't control. So all, all you can really do as an owner and founder is think about when the time is right for you and when you feel the numbers are going to achieve what, what you want to achieve as a result of an exit. Um, for me personally, my first business that I sold, we were on, we were in a bad situation. We kind of had to sell. So we'd grown and grown and grown to 2008, and it all seemed very easy. Then the markets crashed in 2008, and the next two years were an absolute nightmare. So we were, it was basically one step forward, two steps back, and we reached the point where it was burnout. We had our houses on the line. We didn't, you know, it was really, really, really tough. And we had three potential deals. Um, and then none of them were particularly great. And then we got a, a deal, which was never what we dreamed of, never what we'd aspired to. Um, but it did. Um, it, it was it was a substantial amount. It paid off the mortgage. It, you know, it was a it was a lot better from from where we were. So the result in the end was really, really good. But it was on the back of a difficult period of time. Taylor James was very, very different. When I became COO, that was specifically with a goal to groom it, to sell it. We tripled the size of the business in five years. We had offices in New York, LA, Mexico, Germany, as well as London. And we hit a point where we were in a really good place to sell. And, uh, and that's what we did. So it, again, every, every business is different. The timing, the factors involved are gonna be different for absolutely everybody. When is the right time to sell a business? <laughs> well, I don't think you can say because every business is different. Every everybody's personal circumstances are different. At the moment, a lot of people keep wondering and asking what's going to happen with business asset disposal relief and whether there's going to be a change in whenever we have an election in six months or nine months. So, for some people, depending on the value of their sale, now might be the right time to sell. That that, but that's that's an external factor which is taking you know having it having a big say in what you do. So. That's, that's almost something that you can't account for. So I know people who are very concerned about that and looking to accelerate things. And I know other people who are like, no, it is what it is. It's not the right time just to sell the business. It's, we're not the right point on our journey as yet. So there is no absolute yes or no answer. Um, 
And again, it depends very much if somebody's ultimate goal is financially driven or if they've got other pressures in their life. You know, it could be anything from, as Joe said, having a baby to elderly parents that you want more time to care for to, you know, just actually being at the point where you want to explore other opportunities and do other things. So there is no one size fits all. Lisa? Yeah, um, I remember when I first started uh, kind of preparing for a sale and everyone kept on telling me that you need to get to the one million uh, mark of EBITDA. And I, I got like, I was really like frustrated by that. But I now get why they say that. Yeah. Um, I now get that because, you know, if you, most most uh, exits have an earn out and, and uh it's very rare that you get your entire earner. So you really have to be happy with what you get first. And so if your, uh, if your EBITDA isn't high enough, the sum you get at the start is, is, might not be enough to w- do what you wanted to do. So I do think that that bit, I do think is financially I- important to think about. And uh, as Joe was saying, like your, your business being on an up, it's really going to be hard to do an earnout if you're already struggling. So uh, my mom always used to say, uh, leave the party when you're having a good time. <laughs> and I think that's relevant. <laughs> Building on those points there, I think um, with agency businesses, but, but also SaaS um, and other kinds of businesses, recurring income has been um, a real point of attraction for buyers, particularly now, I think given the turbulence across various different industries and high interest rates. So debt is very expensive now for buyers. They're particularly cautious on the type of businesses and their relative performance. So recurring income, profitable income is is very important. And as we've all agreed, um, growth um, up to the point of exit. And actually um, getting even narrower during the exit process itself, which can take a long time. On average, statistically, I think it can take nine plus months. It can be physically, mentally draining. You've got to be able to run the business during that process and continue that growth, which takes planning uh, by all means. So profitability, recurring income, and uh, mental stability (laughs) to go through that process. (laughs) 100%. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. That's something I wanted to touch on, actually, is just the, the effect that um, selling a business can have on on the owner, um, just just from a sort of distraction point of view, because it suddenly takes up a lot of your time. It can mean you can take the, your eye off the ball from, from the business itself, but also just the sort of emotional impact of, of, of selling, selling your baby, you know? Um, yeah. I don't know if anyone has got... Yeah. I think I for me, that was... Uh, uh, one thing that I knew was coming, but I wasn't aware of just how much it would impact. Um, and I'm quite a quite a uh, passionate person. Uh, that's code for emotional. <laughs> and uh, the 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 thing I wasn't prepared for is one: the negotiation stage can take a long time. Mine took nine months. I could have had a baby in that time. Uh, and there, there's, you know, it's not the, it's not the things that you think that will be draining. It's, it's all the calls, all the negotiations, just the tenseness of it. Your, your entire nervous system is at a constant fight or flight almost. Um, so, like being really taking care of yourself in that period, I think exercise and meditation and anything that you can do uh, for the period of the actual negotiations, but also the earn out. The earn out is really, really hard. I, I haven't personally met anyone that hasn't found it quite challenging 
during their earnout. And that's kind of the reason why I set up my mentoring advisory business. I, I've named it Ekte because it's, uh, the, word, uh, the word is Norwegian and it means uh, real and authentic. Uh, and I realized through the earnout that um, there, there are just so many things that can really like put an ex- extraordinary amount of pressure on you. And I've really, really struggled through it. I would say like maybe just like I was mostly falling on my face <laughs> uh, in that three-year earnout period. It was it was very challenging. So yeah, so important. And I think I think there's a few really important points to pick up on. Just just going back to Lisa's point about the one million. Um, there's another factor, it, it, not just in terms of what you can achieve up front, but actually the number of buyers that will become interested when you mm-hmm. hit that mark will increase significantly. So for most I don't want to talk in absolutes, and I don't, you know, because there's different situations. If you are in a business where you've got some kind of IP, uh, to your point that you made earlier, or you've, you know, you're in a, in something, you've got something that's AI based that's got a differentiation about it, etc., then maybe you'll get a really high valuation without needing to be at a million, two million EBITDA or whatever it is. But for a typical, if we can just sort of say traditional agency that is people based then the, the, the traditional buyers, the holding companies, the PE-backed challenger groups, etc., will be more interested when you're at 1 million plus EBITDA. So that is another key factor, just, just on that point. Um, all the other stuff that I think Lisa said, you know, really, really well is absolutely right. You know, in the lead-up to doing a deal, it's so distracting. It, 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 you take your foot away from what it is that somebody wants to buy it's it's like trying to sell a car that you then don't clean for six months because you're too busy because you're trying to sell the car you know you you wouldn't you'd be out there polishing it cleaning it getting it valeted getting it in the best state it can be but when your emotion and time and energy is so withdrawn from the, the, the the business as usual aspect it's very hard um and you know that's where hopefully advisors and surround yourself with the right kind of people can can help in that respect so trying to trying to have some if not you know you can't have all of them but some of the difficult conversations and but what's a really important thing is to try and make sure that the seller and the buyer remain friends so that basically once the deal is done they're not already in a negative kind of situation and and with distrust and and all the rest of it and i i've seen that happen and that's not the way that you want to start an earn out just wanted to add one thing i would 100 percent if you haven't already and you're thinking about exiting get a therapist <laughs> <laughs> i'm dead serious you really have to <laughs> uh joe any thoughts on that <clears throat> yeah I, I think um some fantastic points there there's a lot of groundwork and preparation that can be laid out from an early stage, even if you're one, two years away from exiting. It's something I talk about a lot. Um, and as Nick said, I mean, curveballs can come at any mo- moment, sometimes out of the blue. And if there are foundations there, such as um, preparing someone to be your successor, it could be the CEO role if you are the founder and you want to exit, 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 leave the company post-acquisition, a lot of the value could go with you and your network. So laying out the prepare, preparations in the form of who's going to take over, who's going to be your management team, who can be trusted, because otherwise your valuation could, in theory, drop uh, very quickly during due diligence. So there's a lot of preparation you can make. 
Yeah, I wanted to um, talk a little bit more about um, the earnouts and ask, ask you about that, Lisa, because I know that yours didn't necessarily go the way that you wanted it mm. to. <clears throat> yeah, I think uh, it was very unfortunate that my earnout uh, ended in 2020. <laughs> so it was the year of COVID, uh, and uh, I, yeah, I think I can say I didn't make uh, the last year, um, and that was so challenging. And and also I I was a um, single founder so uh, I was the owner but I had a, a management team with the MI shares and that was that is one of the the biggest challenges if you have a team and you made the plans of who's going to take over and and really build the management team but then you have you know unexplained things like uh, or unpredicted things like COVID happening uh, it was it was really hard to to know that those people didn't really get what they needed uh, or what they hoped for um and and that was uh yeah that i would say was probably the biggest challenge for me in that last year um just knowing like you feel really really bad like that you couldn't figure it out uh obviously i couldn't have predicted covid but you know that yeah that was extremely difficult I mean with earnouts where do you start I mean yeah. th- th- there's 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 no one size fits all in terms of uh, the, the structure of an earnout you know the people try different models obviously s4 and Martin Sorrell started with s4 he changed the model very much so that there was going to be reciprocal equity in s4 for the for, for, for the people that he bought as well as an element of cash obviously um, and nobody predicted that S4 shares were going to tank like they have done. And, and when they hit rock bottom, they found a new rock bottom after that. So that's why, you know, a lot of the people that would have bought into that journey and that, that philosophy haven't, haven't achieved what they would have wanted to achieve. Um, then you've got traditional earnouts, if you like, which are cash-based, like leases, like, like the earnouts that I've been involved in. Um, and if you get, you know, I, I was, we were in the middle of our run out when the pandemic hit as well. So mm-hmm. again, completely, um, completely hit us, hit us for six in that respect. Um, there are a lot of people who do do well out of their run outs and the way that the deals negotiated is important, but it is absolutely fair and true to say that, you know, that they, they can be a challenge and they're a challenge on lots of fronts because if you've been an owner founder, a, a founder owner and you are all of a sudden working for somebody that's a really hard thing that's really really difficult and particularly if the people that have bought you are backed by PE or if they're listed and they have quarterly reports that they need to, to produce your profitability on a month-to-month basis becomes absolutely everything so you can have three four five great months then one month and all of a sudden you are a pariah and <laughs> and that is very very difficult to cope with when you've been taking all the risk capital yourself for five ten years or however long it's been that somebody else is judging you or frustrated with you based on one poor month or one poor quarter so they are really really challenging um but it, it's it's important to look at the whole reason for why you're selling there's lots and lots of businesses that peak in terms of their reach whether that's geographical or entering different markets and by becoming a part of a bigger entity and having a strategic partner that can open new doors and new possibilities and you can get incredible growth off the back of it so 
absolutely agree. It's hard work. It's a challenge. The process of leading up to a sale and post a sale, you know, can be can be difficult. But if it's right for you, if it's right for your business, then it, it can still be very successful. I think um, there are uh, no, structures which are very common, particularly now, uh, given the level of turbulence and, and uncertainty. Um, but if there is scope to not necessarily have an earnout and secure that during negotiation, happy days. Um, and uh, you can do that through competitive tension, making sure that you have multiple offers on the table, rallying them against each other. Um, it is very possible that you can get in upwards of 100% cash up front um, uh, or at least 50% and the rest could be deferred consideration over a 6, 12, 18 month period so it's not necessarily tied to the performance of the business or yourself as the founder post, uh, or as an employee in, in, in the acquiring business so um, yeah we, we always encourage founders if possible uh, to secure as much cash up front as reasonably possible, um, just because the uncertainty. I mean, and that's going to depend very much on what the business is. Absolutely. You know, if, if if there's, I know technology businesses where they've been bought, and and you know, and it, something like Vimeo, for example, when they buy, they will peg payments staged on integration of technology. So it's not mm. a financial performance target. Um, but in a traditional agency format, where you're people based, etc and you you know you you live and die by your margins then it will almost certainly still be some kind of a financially driven earnout thank you very much for listening to the exit plan podcast if you enjoyed it please leave us a review to help other people find us if you would like your question answered in MA Q&A or are wondering what's next for you and your business and want to chat about an exit plan drop me an email on barnaby at foxcogroup.com or get in touch with me on LinkedIn